0: Hey, y'all. And welcome to Pain in the Pod. This week, I had a great chat with Paige St. John of the podcast Man in the Window. It's a podcast about the Golden State Killer, and she did a lot of research for the LA Times, and she put it in podcast form. And it's great because it does a lot of research into the side of the victims and also the male victims, which I found to be a really compelling part of the story. So I hope you enjoy today's episode with Paige St. John. And just as a quick reminder, I'm on Patreon. It's patreon.com. Slash pain in the pod. And if you can and if you feel nice, please leave a five star review. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks. I think most people who follow true crime know about the Golden State Killer, and many people know that the man now accused of all the crimes is named Joseph D'Angelo and he's in jail. Uh, He's been accused of 13 murders and suspected of some 225 home invasions, including 50 rapes from the early 70s to the mid-80s. The podcast, The Man in the Window, delves into the people around D'Angelo. Paige St. John of the Los Angeles Times interviewed his teenage fiancé, his family, his friends, the detectives who were struggling to piece together the similar crimes and rape victims without the departments really talking to each other, and also the... The victims, the male and female, of uh, a time that didn't have a lot of understanding, really, of this rape crime. So, Paige, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to talk to you. Thank you.
1: I'm so, so pleased to be here.
0: Well, let me ask you this. So we have we've ha- we heard a lot about the Golden State Killer Um And for people that aren't familiar, I just sort of described what the Golden State Killer was because for a long time it wasn't a well-known, I do air quotes, serial killer. But uh, certainly Michelle McNamara's book uh, brought a lot of light to it. But a lot of people were researching it for a lot of years, mostly because it was unsolved. So. This podcast really was sort of a new angle. So tell my listeners about the angle you took in making this podcast.
1: Oh, exactly. And this is the part that really got me going and why I decided it needed to be a podcast. I was assigned to the case the day that Joseph D'Angelo was arrested and was just doing a background on who is Joseph D'Angelo. But as I dug into the crimes and and the old newspaper clippings of the day and then the old TV uh, archives of the day... I began to realize how the women who had been raped were treated uh, during the first phase of the crimes. There were like 50-some home invasion rapes. And even though police in the first community attack mounted a, a posse and they had manhunts for the rapists, they really didn't get the trauma that had happened to the women. The women were basically silenced. They never spoke. And as I spoke to the victims, these these women who'd been raped, I realized that their own family members didn't see them truly, didn't recognize their true trauma. I mean, the one 15-year-old girl, her father told her, never talk about this again. And she spent the rest of, of her life while her father was alive, not even talking to like family members, her own sister, her other people around her did not know the details of what had happened to her. To the extent she began to doubt it had even happened. Mm. And 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 that blew me away in the individual cases. But then as I realized, this is a whole generation of women that have been silenced, who, who were raped and attacked in the 70s at a time when rape was a property crime, where punishment was three years at most, but more than 50% of the time. Offenders who were convicted walked right out of the courtroom back onto the street.
0: What do you mean rape was a property crime? Tell me what you mean by that, because I'm, I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'm like, what exactly. do you mean? <laughs> so,
1: so this goes into the I I even in my search to understand this found experts on the three thousand year history of rape and rape from its inception as a crime was a crime against the man, the father, or the husband. Closest to the woman. Oh, wow! And female victims early in Babylon and et cetera. The female victims would be killed if if there were if they were not like locked up in their house at the time of the attack. Um, the the suspicion of women uh, in in rape so deep, in and existed all the way through the English tort system that in California at the time that these rapes were occurring. Judges required juries to hear a uh, a statement from, you know it's actually comes from old English law that rape is easy to- accuse and difficult to prove, and therefore any testimony from the female victim ought to be held in with a cynical eye whoa so so that kind of puts you into the frame of the mind at the time burglary um Kidnapping for purposes of, of robbery and burglary carried a life sentence in California at the time. Rape, three year at max, maybe five year for serial rapists. And it's that wrinkle in in how the lawmakers viewed the seriousness of rape that has actually given them the ability to charge uh, Joseph D'Angelo, not just with 13 murders, but 13 counts of kidnapping for purposes
0: of burglary. Right, because a lot of the women he would... Uh, taken to the other, he, he would, would move, move them, them to the other room to be away from. Yes. Yeah. He'd
1: move them from, from the bedroom to the living room. And if it had not been for that, it, if it had not been for the rapists uh, taking coins, 50 cent pieces, pieces of junk jewelry, they wouldn't even have that charge, Wh- which is uh it's, it's kind of a, a last ironic twist. Wow.
0: That's, uh, that's really interesting. So, Listen, I, I feel doing this podcast. I learn so much new stuff all the time. I just wrote down rape was a property crime? Question mark Like what? That uh, that's, yes. that's crazy. So, well, I could tell
1: you more. There were <laughs> there are, there are more of these kind of mind blowing. We forget what it was like to be a woman in the seventies. Yeah, but but I found other incidents of things that just kind of blew me away like
0: that. So you were uh, working on it uh, for the LA Times. So how did you decide to switch it uh, from articles to? A podcast. How did you decide to put it into podcast form?
1: Well, I started with a three-part, then a four-part piece for print. It was ready in October of last year to go to press. And that's when I suggested that we do, that this is a natural, well, actually uh, one of our editors, Shelby Grad, who had worked on Dirty John and and was kind of the brains behind helping get that mm-hmm. started. Uh, Shelby asked, is this a podcast? And I freaked out and said, no, (laughs) because I've never done any audio and and it terrified me. But uh, I began to think that way about, well, yeah, the material certainly supports it. And I tape all of my interviews, so I certainly have the audio for this. Um, But right about that time in October, we had a a tremendous fire, the worst, most fatalities in, in California history, wildfire in the town of Paradise. Right. And I, and I live up in Northern California. And so I was on that fire from, from within hours of it starting, I was up there and, and so there was a three month break when I came back in. So we had the story done. We realized we want to do a podcast. It's now January. And, um, and then we kind of, uh, began, uh, I guess it was all, all lights green, uh, a decision that we were going to try to get this into podcast form as quick as possible and hold the print and release it all at once. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, So, so what, so we brought in Wondery, an excellent, you know, organization, uh, extraordinary talent at Wondery. They, they do a a wide variety of podcasts, but, um, but the people that I was working with George Lavender and Karen Lowe also have backgrounds in public radio. So they really got my, my desire to do everything as a, as a documentary and use only original audio, only archival audio, nothing, um, you know, that, that, that comes from, um, what do you call that made up sound? Foley <laughs> sound, Right. We, and they did. And to the extent that they even hired a, um, a woman to write an original score for this, uh, because they got uh, that. I, my mission was that I, I do not like, general true crime i don't like the exploitation of victims the dramatic music that you know that's basically meant to scare you yes and, and and i needed a deep sensitivity and most podcasts on crime don't have a deep sensitivity to the victims of of the trauma um and for me that was the most important part so so we found the the musical score actually i thought is fabulous because it really gives dignity to the voices of older women. Yes. And and voices of older women is another thing you don't, you know, it's kind of missing on the soundscape.
0: Yeah, I liked that you used only the original audio of your interviews. I I always like to hear that rather than sometimes you people do like they have to do recreations or they have to tell you what it said because you can't really hear it mm-hmm. and I do think that that's a great point. Yours really, this podcast, um, Man in the Window, really is done a lot more like a, a just like a full audio documentary. It's, yeah. It sounds like one. It plays like one. Uh, the music and everything, it really, really does.
1: Yeah, it's ho- hopefully it immerses you into the what it was like so that you can understand what it
0: was like in the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I want to talk about something you touched on about the victims. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. Plus. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit
0: hp.com smart for details. I'm back with Paige St. John of the Man in the Window podcast, which is a podcast through Wondery regarding the Golden State Killer, but it doesn't necessarily delve into the Golden State Killer himself. It is more about the victims. And you touched on that a minute ago. You said that in a lot of true crime podcasts, sort of the exploitation or what you view as the exploitation of the victims, or it sort of gives a lot of gory details, or maybe sometimes I would say in a way glorifies the the killer the uh you know the criminal so but in your podcast it's a different twist in that you talked to these victims and i want to talk to you what i thought was an interesting twist in your podcast was you talked to a lot of male victims and you sort of highlighted the ones that were willing to talk so talk to me a little bit about your decision to go and talk to some of these male victims who i think that aren't aren't recognized so much with the golden state killer
1: yeah, that was a, a kind of a breakthrough that came about midway through as as the podcast is airing nationally. I thought, and it took me a, a good year to gain the trust of women to open up their hearts and talk about their experiences and what had happened to them in the context of these crimes. And the men who had been attacked, and there were 29 men, you know, male companions who were bound in bed, had a gun. You know, they, they could hear the trigger pulled back. The, the, the rapist was was taunting them with killing them, with cutting off the ears of their family members and their children for hours while their wives were being raped, and none had ever come forward. One showed up at one of the court hearings um, and did some brief media interviews, But but they really, again, were asking the salacious questions. So when I got a phone call from one of these men who was willing to talk about what it was like, and the anger and the rage that he still felt and he never had addressed. I mean, even the police at the time, Oh, in one police report, no kidding. The officer describes the male victim as a quote witness. So, Oh my it, God. It, it, because the whole masculinity of men and what's happening in these attacks. And I think as a society, we still look at, at men as they're there to protect women. And if, and if a woman with them gets raped, then they have failed as a man, and that's how these men felt. So I began to find more of the men and talk to them and and, and convince. So two in the end come forward and, and were willing to kind of let the world hear their story.
0: Amazing power of podcasts. <laughs> the one you spoke to was that was the husband and wife, um, right? Bob that, and Gay. Yeah. Yes, and it was very interesting to tell their story of how at the time they sort of. Moved past it and how he dealt with it in sort of a male way, with it, diving into some sports or aggression or having fights, and she, you know, basically told him like, "We have to work through this, or you know, we we can't be together, or and, our marriage uh, won't survive." Yeah, right. Yeah. And but, and but, then they did. It's an amazing love story with these two people.
1: But most, uh, I'd say, about half of the couples who were attacked did not stay together. And the Victor, the other man that you hear from, is an example of that. His girlfriend. And he drifted apart pretty quickly, I think, within a, a year, a few years of the
0: attack. Was Victor the one that uh, was the one that was in court that was so vocal? Yeah. Young. He was young at the time. He
1: was uh, 21. And and uh, so he's among our victims, among because these crimes are 40 years ago, among our younger victims even today. I hate to use the word victim because they're not, but... Right. They're not, it's not, it's not like they're cast in concrete and that's what they are for the rest of their lives. But, um, but the anger and, and Bob is a lawyer. Victor works, lives in the Northwoods, cuts firewood and things like that for a living. Very different on the outside, but on the inside, when they begin to speak and you hear the anger and the violent, the violent anger, you know, that that's within, you understand how, how similar these men are and how that must have haunted all the other men who were attacked too. And there are suggestions now, and this piece is not yet finished for print, but I'm, I'm looking at suggestions that, that some of these attacks, the men were the actual original target that this serial predator intentionally was stealing the honor and, and harming certain men that he may have had altercations with, uh, parking. He's the kind of kind of guy that would you know get a get a fight with you in a parking lot over some traffic,
0: uh, right? In, you know, and then figure out where you lived and then stake it out. Yeah, Perhaps. because it was a lot. Yeah it, yeah, it seemed to be a lot of with Joseph D'Angelo, a lot of staking things out beforehand and sometimes going in the house beforehand and planting things so that there would be a rope under the couch or an easy way to get in or out or...
1: Taking bullets out of guns, kind of staging the house for the attack and and knowing the whole layout of the house and, and where the gun is hidden and everything. Yeah, to an extent, I mean, Hollywood, I think, has yet to come up with its own creation more frightening than than this individual and he succeeded in flying under the radar only because he kept moving around so he was the vasalia ransacker he was the east area rapist in sacramento in the bay he was the original night stalker in southern california the creek the galita creek killer i mean and and so nobody understood until this you know century the the whole scope of the crimes
0: and and another way that he eluded the police for so long for moving around is because at that time the police did not talk to each other, so you could be the next right. next town over and never know there were three rapes in that town that looked just like the three rapes that just happened in your town well and and you could know it's not that they couldn't talk. This was the most disturbing part,
1: and why I'm glad I stepped out of the traditional true crime bubble which which is um evil mastermind against a you know, the detectives that are p- trying to solve the case is that the departments refused to talk to one another, turned each other away, and it became more of an ego thing with the sheriffs who were seeking reelection. They could have cooperated and collaborated on these cases, and they decided not to.
0: That's infuriating, huh? It, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> There's so many little pieces of this. Um, and as a person who sort of follows a lot of true crime, I, I wasn't completely familiar with The Golden State Killer until I read Michelle McNamara's book, and I'd heard about that on My Favorite Murder, which is a podcast that I love, because they were um, close with Michelle McNamara and Patton Oswald. And Michelle McNamara was a writer, and then she wrote this book, and then before it was finished, she uh, passed away. But she's the one that coined that term, Golden State Killer, because in her mind, he was all these different things, but she was so committed to helping getting him caught. She wanted to give him more of a, for lack of a better term, a catchy name to draw more attention to it. And in her book, you're talking about the tokens that were taken from the house. In her book, she talks a lot about, she would go down all these rabbit holes of if one earring was stolen, she was go down these rabbit holes of trying to find the other earring. So then she could possibly connect it to a person who could possibly find out who pawned it, you know, all these things. And I think that it can um, overtake your mind a lot in that way if you're really so focused on the criminal. And that's why I think your podcast was so different because you were so focused on the victims and their trauma and how they live with it still. Because, you know, I think about, I mean, I am 51 years old. I was born in 1968. So I think about that time in my life was the time where you just sent your kids out. Like my mom would be like, I'll see you later, whenever, eight o'clock at night, whatever. So that was a lot of the doors open time in our lives that unfortunately we've all uh, gotten away from. Exactly.
1: And, And there were a tremendous number of rapes going on at that time. Uh, but we didn't report rape. We didn't. We did a lot of women who were raped did not report it. But newspapers also did not carry reports of the rapes, and and so that
0: sense of safety that you felt was in many ways false. Oh, absolutely, and, and so of course in the seventies and eighties was a high time for kidnappings as well. And I think about. You know, the. I'm kind of glad that I lived in that la-la land of, oh, I'll just, you know, walk 10 blocks to my friend's house. I mean, you know, now Mm -hmm. I would probably never let one of my kids do that. It's totally different now. But it it was so interesting back to your podcast. It's so interesting about the toll that it has on the victims' lives still. So I'm thinking, you know, 40-something years ago, I was 10 years old. Some of these victims were not much older than me at that time, 15, 16 years old. Some were married couples, some were, because he, he started out with people in their house single. After he got done with the ransacking and the robbing, then he moved on to raping. Then he moved on to raping women when the man was home, and then just escalates into murder. And you think about the trauma on the people that were, and I put this in air quotes, just raped and not killed. Like, why me not you know, why not me? Why this next person? I mean, it's it's so much for the victims, I think, to, that it's hard for me to wrap my brain around what they're going through. That's why I enjoyed listening to yours so much, because you really got in there with all these people.
1: Yeah, it really did change their lives. Even to this day, they're so security conscious. These people are very aware of their boundaries and
0: anyone who steps over those boundaries. Yeah, as they should be. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk more about podcast with Paige St. John of Man in the Window.
2: Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org.
0: Learn more and take action today. Okay, now speaking of security, I know that you live in a remote area. And I know that because of the way that we're podcasting, you live in a remote area. So tell me, tell me about the area where you live and how do you work and do podcasts from where you live? We
1: ought to tell them that I'm recording this from a, a tundra. <laughs> this is my mobile <laughs> studio.
0: <laughs> I love right? that. So,
1: so I live in Northern California. I'm up in the foothills. I'm, I'm, I've I cover fires, disasters, anything, you know, that's happening in Northern California. So it's good for me to be mobile. So therefore I don't need an office in a, in a one central place where I'm planted. Right. And, and and the second part of your question was security, right. About how, Mm -hmm. how this feeds into that. I know my neighbors and we kind of keep an eye on each other. I'm always amazed when I'm interviewing people, how little they know about the people right next door. Oh, absolutely. There's no sense of community, right? And and so and I also know that locks and, and such they only they slow down a break in, but but for true safety, and I'm more concerned about my personal safety than my property. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you, you know, it's better to have eyes and have people just to have an awareness of your surroundings. with people, and we all um, in this community, and I'm finding this a lot as I'm out there reporting. Uh, we have a, a community Facebook group that chats.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: And, and it's amazing how you'll have people who notice what vehicle is on the road or someone strange in the neighborhood. You know, our houses are, you can't see the next house from my house, right? We're, we're very far apart, but you don't have that feel in terms of that, that awareness. We actually had an active shooter case in Tahama Ranch up in Northern California, where Local where the people in this community, where there's a man going around shooting at the school and shooting people um a, as he's driving around uh were alerting each other on that Facebook group, and they got the word out wow to to, to everybody else, so it works,
0: yeah, it does and and mm-hmm. I think that the Facebook groups and the next door app and the patch mm-hmm. you know type of all that is sort of. Uh, it's replacing sort of how I grew up with all your neighbors knew everything about every, you know, Mm -hmm. if I was doing anything, I wasn't getting away with it because I had, you know, um, elderly people. Now I say that they were elderly, but they were probably like 50, but I thought they were elderly at the time.
1: (laughs) I know. Yeah. Keeping an eye on you. (laughs) Right. Keeping an eye on me. mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And so I could, my parents could go out of town and leave me as a high schooler for the weekend now, I would never, never do that these days. Number one, just because my kids are, you know, it's just a different world completely. But I knew that if I even tried to have one extra car at the house or a party or anything, I was going to be busted. So it's not worth it. Um, and we just don't have that these days. In, in my neighborhood I lived in before where I live now, we definitely had more of a sense of community. But the one I live in now, I do. I'm very good friends with a couple of neighbors. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't have any idea.
1: To the point of the, of, of the crime at hand, to, the, to, to uh, the Golden State Killer, the East Area Rapist, the, these crimes began because that um, dissolved. They began in Rancho Cordova, which is an Air force base town that sprung up like overnight. And it had okay. the look of like suburbia, but all the people were transient. They were young military people or people who worked at the rocket plant, and they didn't talk to each other. And and there was, so there was none of that secure, that neighborhood security. So this guy could prowl and he would prowl and hit a dozen homes in a night. Uh, And that's why I called the podcast man in the window, because often that's all a neighbor would, uh, someone would see a man at their window looking in and he'd be, you know, checking out all the houses and the people inside and nobody would call police. (laughs) <laughs> there would be someone in their backyard they might run them off but they wouldn't call police and they wouldn't call the neighbor unfortunately sometimes the girls living next door were raped
0: you know it's interesting you brought that up about the title the man in the window because you start off the podcast talking to Bonnie so Bonnie we've heard a lot about she was the former fiance of from many, 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 many years ago of Joseph D'Angelo before he moved on and got married. She moved on and got married. They were very young at the time, but her name is important because in many of the crimes he cried out, you know, I'm sorry, Bonnie, or look what you made me do, Bonnie, or said her name.
1: I hate you, Bonnie. I hate you. I hate
0: you. Yeah. Yeah. And he said her name more than once on more than one occasion. So it was taken note of. So how did you, uh, how did you get in touch with her and get her to agree to talk to you? Because as far as I know, she hasn't really ever spoken to anyone.
1: No, she won't. She she values her privacy. And I was persistent. I contacted her family members, everybody I could, could think of to get a message to her. And, of course, I left messages on her phone, on her um, message machine, in her mail slot, right? Knocked <laughs> on the door. And I, I did all of that until... I, I guess a point at which she decided she wanted to tell her story to one person and just once. Right. And and I don't think she intended to tell me the whole story because she had gone through her life never telling anybody else about the time that her fiancé came to her bedroom window with a gun and attempted mm. to abduct her. Mm. and And so even her brother had not known about that and wow and it was just a coincidence that um maybe two months prior or, or short time prior to the arrest of d'angelo she had begun to talk about it with her therapist because it was a, a buried trauma and had affected her whole life herself so oh uh, yeah i guess I have to ask bonnie why she chose me but we 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 began talking in gently at first and i've and spent many many hours with her. Many visited her many many times. We've become fairly close. And all of the victims, I, I, I think I feel to them as friends. The the intimacy that you know we've had to develop and the trust we've had to develop on both sides uh, to tell these stories. But um, but then I think Bonnie now feels better for having told her story, and now she could move on.
0: Absolutely, and that that's fascinating that she had just started to talk to her therapist about it, and D'Angelo had not even been arrested yet, Mm -hmm. and it was it was front of her mind uh, or way back of her mind. She was trying to work through it, um, that trauma, and she was only what like nineteen years old. She was pretty young.
1: Yeah, she was nineteen, and this was an instance where her
0: D'Angelo was in college. He wanted to become
1: a law enforcement officer. Bonnie's father decided to not call police and to talk Joe down, you know, to leave with his gun and not come back and to protect his career because it would have ruined his career. He would not have been able to become a policeman, uh, which he was up through the entire period of the rapes uh, when he was lost his job because of shoplifting conviction for stealing a hammer and, and a can of dog repellent. That's when the murders begin in the, in the crime series. So anyway, Bonnie's father was, a, was aiming to protect Joe more than his own daughter. Wow. And, and had his daughter lock herself in the bathroom for a couple of hours while he dealt with the situation. Then after Joe was gone, told her, go to bed and never spoke to her again about it. God until he died, you know, even until, until his own death. I mean, nothing, no word the next morning, never told his wife, nobody else who was asleep in the house ever knew this had happened.
0: Wow. Wow. It, it was just a, it was just a different time. And There again. It was, it, <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the It's the, it's the men trying to be like, I'm going to be the protector and macho and I'll just take the brunt of this, yeah. you know? Whew. Um, let me ask you this. You're saying that you you think that a lot of times, and I agree with you, a lot of times in some true crime podcast, they do maybe a little bit more exploitation on the grittiness of the crime and not really getting into the impact that it had on the victims. What um, – I don't want you to give me an example of podcasts you don't like, <laughs> but do you have an example of some podcasts you do like that you oh, do Oh, right? I do. I <laughs> do. and. and-
1: yeah, and I am delighted I was at a, a women's podcasting festival in in l a recently this summer mm-hmm. and just dis- and was really delighted to discover that a lot of uh, other podcasters are doing the same thing. They're giving a little bit more depth and and, and they're fleshing out the victims, so the victim doesn't isn't like cardboard cut out and walks on stage. You know they're like a prop and right. and and there still is valid reason to understand the psychology of the killer. And because because we don't have a conviction in this case, we, we couldn't do that with this kind of a podcast either. But I think there's huge value in, in those pieces too. But my all-time favorite podcast, probably because it was one of the first I listened to, because uh, I've listened to so many now that I think are really great, but still my favorite, is Crime Town Providence. It, it's entertaining, but all of the characters are fully fleshed out. You know, with personalities. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, as a writer, I really appreciate that depth to a character that they bring, and, and and it's fun. It's got some fun music, but amazing stories, and really good use of archival audio to put you. I mean, I'm I'm about as far from Providence as one could get physically, right? And and yet, I can feel like I'm there, and I see the city in a whole new light. Uh, and a time period, you know, brings back to life that that I never knew existed.
0: Is it, uh, is it true stories or is it? Yeah,
1: it's truth? no, it's a true. It's the true uh, story of the mayor of Providence and La Cosa Nostra, uh, and the third oh. largest Cosa Nostra family in the United States was in Providence in the 1970s through the 1980s. It goes from traditional, organized thugger crime, kind of thuggery to To the involvement of organized crime in in the drug trade, uh, cocaine and and such, and the complicity of the mayor who starts out as a prosecuting attorney, but then he gets the political bug, runs for office, and then as a mayor, in order to control the city, he's got to deal with organized crime, and then until to the extent that you know his hands become dirty.
0: Oh, that sounds right up my alley that sounds
1: <laughs> yeah you will you will really enjoy it and and the stories because these are these are the the people who are telling the stories are the actual guys the hitman the 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 mayor's aide and then Buddy Cianci the former mayor he had redone a lot of recordings for an autobiography so they got those tapes too so Ooh. Yes. So it really, it does. And and I studied it because it does what I wanted to do with Man in the Window. But um, I think I I did a cross country uh, drive. And so I binged on it from California through New Mexico, Utah,
0: and, and and really loved it. Okay, Crime Town Providence. That's on my list. I just, I just added it as we're speaking. That's how easy it is. Uh, do you have any other ones you want to recommend? Well, I'm, I enjoy, of course,
1: news podcasts, right? And, yes. and, and that's the the majority of what I'm, I'll be listening to are the, the, that deal with the news of the day because that's my line of work. And, and so, and I still see podcasts as more, the other end of podcasting is more entertainment. Yes. There, yes. there, there's some, um, uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember the name of the title of the one that Wondery did on the BP oil explosion. And oh. and I can't remember the title of it, but it really got into what had happened. In a, it, it took a story I thought I knew and told me so much more and made me realize I did not understand what had happened, in it, which is often the case. The way news stories work, this, the initial story that comes out is somewhat faulty, and it takes some time
0: and some history for the truth to kind of percolate up. So. That's that's right. Mm-hmm. We, when I think of the the Exxon Valdez um, or the BP oil, either one of yeah. these things, um, I, all I think about is them showing like the marine life, you know, the little the little ducks or the or the fish, mm-hmm. whatever, covered in oil. And that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And that's probably just because that's what was on the news, you know?
1: Right, right. And that's as for spot news, that's all that's available. There's not a lot of information available. The Golden State Killer it will be 4 years or so i think until trial it will be a while before we really know what happened before we under- we see the full picture like what was motivating him what did anybody else know how and and you have to think someone who is stalking and and uh scoping out you know a dozen homes a night and is a police officer at the same time how they have enough time in the day how come nobody notices that he's not not around, you know, or how he's spending his nights. It,
0: and, you know, and raises. I want, yeah. yeah. And I want to know, did he stop? You know, yeah. did he stop? <laughs> There's that or, too. Or There's did he that. just go to a new MO and nobody put it together, you know?
1: And yeah. And in that vein, that that's one of the amazing things coming out of this new use of, of familial DNA searches is uh, as I'm, I'm taking a list of all of the cases like i'm up to 66 so far that have been resolved with this new approach of taking dna from the crime scene in these cold cases and then running it through like family tree dna or jed match to see who at least what relatives come up if you can't find the criminal themselves and then tracing those family trees back to your suspect that that's my brief explanation for your listeners here. But what's amazing on the list of those cases that are resolved is that there are a number of serial killers that they're finding new victims. I mean, it's unbelievable.
0: You feel like every week you hear something like that. If, if this is something that you're following, you're like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh. And and it it's good news for families of victims and things like that. You're never going to get your loved one back and you're never going to get over the trauma, but at least maybe you would have an answer. And some people 30 40 years they don't have an answer for what happened to their loved ones so I, yeah i think the whole thing is so fascinating yeah they're they're closing the book on cases from
1: from the 80s and from the 90s right now a lot a lot of cases like i said i'm up to 66
0: right mm. now I'm on the spreadsheet that i'm keeping wow so what are you so so what are you working on now? What what is next for Page Saint John? Which which Page Saint John is such a great name, by the way. <laughs> thank you. You have to you have to thank
1: my my mother gets that credit because of a detective novel she was reading at the time she was pregnant, and so most of the pages in my generation, our mothers were all reading the same book. <laughs> and and, we're, and though we are women, for some reason it's become a woman's name. It was a man's name, and it was. The name of a character in a detective novel. So Wow! So I come. <laughs> I come <laughs> so that's where my 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 curiosity streak comes from. I'm finishing up still on the D'Angelo story. I'm I'm looking at this use of DNA and the cases that it's closing, and uh, and I'm also looking more at at D'Angelo himself. We have not had a lot of information about him still, and and he's losing weight rapidly. He's he's seventy four. There's a question whether he'll live to trial. And and then if he dies, what questions, you know, will go unanswered? What will, what will be buried with him? So I'm making a big push to try to get what I can at this point.
0: Yes, I, I think that that is a big worry because I think that he w- was living his life uh, anonymously. And then, you know, once it all came down on his head, I think that f- from what we saw from him being wheeled into the courtroom and stuff, if it's fakery or if he's trying to make himself sick or, you know, you know, somebody like that, you really have to watch because they'll take all their secrets to the grave. I mean, you think about the Jeffrey Epstein, you know, there's so much there. We'll never know, you know, mm-hmm. so we, it's interesting. I'm glad that you're still to hear that you're still working on it.
1: Right. And the victims, the 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 people that i have spoken to the men and the women want to know that they, they, they it was one of them told me it was Chris. um She was the one who was 15 when she was raped and her father said, never tell anybody. Chris, um, you know, says to me that there's nothing he could say that would make her go, oh, well, now I understand. (laughs) Right. Of course. Right. But she still wants to know a lot. Like, was he stalking her? Was he actually stalking the girl who lived across the street and had come over that night to bake cookies? You know, with her and... And, um, and by chance that girl left, you know, she, she wants to know little things like that, but one of the other victims, Victor, he wants to know who else knew, did the police department, if it was Joseph D'Angelo, what about the police department that employed him? Was he sneaking off
0: on duty? Uh, he, right. you know, he wants to know who else is responsible for this. Right. I remember he's, he's very, uh, passionate and that's sort of a twist I had not thought of before of, uh-huh. You know, but he was in such a small town. You think that somebody would notice if he snuck off? But that's a whole—that's probably a whole other podcast. I mean,
1: yeah, and I think there's a tendency in crimes to make the evil mastermind kind of an immaculate, like they were smarter than everybody and managed to pull this off and hoodwink everybody with no clue. And I think the reality is probably a little messier than that. What I find, is, you know, as you hear in the podcast, there were times like Bonnie's father. Or the Auburn Police Department when they fired Joe, you know, for shoplifting. Or, um, uh, and when he was fired, a therapist told the chief that Joe D'Angelo had sought to kill him and, and he let it ride. He didn't report it. He didn't take any action. So, as I'm saying, I guess the truth is there were instances when people might
0: have done something that might have made a difference. Uh, yeah right but it's sort of like uh you want to say you'll never know but now maybe you will you know now that you're digging into it and the
1: woulda coulda shoulda right (laughs) too exactly but if 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 this if this is someone whose mind is bent that way then perhaps they would just find another way so
0: true true well tell my listeners where they can find out more about you and more about the podcast man in the window Well, the podcast is easy to find,
1: Man in the Window, on whatever your favorite listening device is, whether it's Apple or Spotify, but I really encourage people to go to latimes.com slash man in the window or MITW, either will work, because we have photos there. We have the written stories, and we have Bonnie's photos, Joe D'Angelo's photos, uh, and an interactive crime map that gives you a feel of Uh, the sweep of these crimes, how they cover all the way from up in Northern California down to Southern California. It's really astounding, even for me uh, reporting this out, to see that map and understand how much crime, you know, and how many homes were broken into, how many people were terrified.
0: Right. Yeah. And many more that he could have done that have not even been attributed to him at this point. Well, I, I agree. I've been to that website and, uh, the articles there and and just all the uh, amount of documentation that you have there is interesting to look at as a good companion piece to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Paige, from recording from your tundra with me. And, uh, you know, I, my uh, producer said, oh, we're going to talk this way. I was like, I don't understand <laughs> how we're going to do this. He said, Just go with it. I promise it's going to sound great. And so I do always trust him. And it sounds perfectly fine. It sounds like you're in a studio. I can't believe it.
1: That's wonderful. That's great. And hopefully it'll sound even better because you've got some I've got (laughs) some great mics
0: pointed at my face here. (laughs) So um, I love that. I'd like to have a picture of the uh, inside of your Tundra studio. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes no, no but the number of the po- of the interviews on the podcast were done this way in people's vehicles it makes a really mm-hmm. good sound studio
0: i promise <laughs> it, well it makes it totally makes sense right thank you so much for joining me and i would definitely encourage all my listeners if they haven't already to listen to man in the window it is a Really, really different take on the Golden State Killer, and it's it's ongoing. So obviously he's still in jail with, we don't know what charges still yet. So thank you again, Paige, and everybody go take a listen to Man in the Window.